If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Doing that, I was face to face with it. It was holding me by my throat. And it felt like it was sucking something out of me. I probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red eyes staring back at me. That they're going to show multiple gods all over the earth, be able to speak in people's languages, and at that point, it kind of converged into this one entity which will be revealed as extraterrestrial. You'll realize that aliens are the gods of old, and at that point, it'll like religion out of the context of humanity. No, it couldn't have been a person, I know that. I know that people can't run through the woods like that. So this thing comes into view, and I see it. It's 50 yards away from me. It's walking, it's walking on two legs. It's huge. This is a big, hairy, looking being. Welcome. I'm your host. And this is uncomfortable. Welcome back to the show. I am your host, Eric Salagi. If you've had an uncomfortable experience and you'd like to have it featured on the show, please get a hold of me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. The world wants to hear your experience, so get a hold of me and let's get yours on a future episode of Uncomfortable. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, both at Uncomfortable Podcast 65, and please remember to leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you can. This is the main way that you, the listener, can help get this show out in front of more people. And with more people listening, that means more people coming forward with their great experiences. If you're interested in helping support the show, head over to patreon.com slash uncomfortablepodcast770 and check out the three different levels we have there and see if anything appeals to you. Or if a standalone donation or support is more your liking, you can do that as well through Red Circle. The links for both 
will be in the show notes below. Now, if you've joined me at either of the previous Bigfoot and Brew events that I hosted, it may interest you to know that we have locked down September 14th, 2024 as the date for the next event. Again, being held within the wonderful confines of Sister Lakes Brewing Company in Dwajak, Michigan, there's been some discussion lately about the possibility of opening this event up to additional topics. Topics that you hear throughout the episodes of Uncomfortable. Tentatively, the new working title for this event will be Bigfoot and Brews and Spirits 2. As far as speakers go, I've already lined up Amy Boo from Ohio. She's part of the Olympic Project and a fan favorite. And speaking of fan favorites, I have the Archbishop Christina Rake, who has agreed to speak on the paranormal and its relation with God. There are a number of speakers I am in talks with around throughout the day. If you all keep your fingers crossed, we may be able to entice Bodine, the Bigfoot, into returning for the 24 event. I'd like to give a big shout out to Mr. Nick Orton of Tales from the Grid Square. Nick was kind enough to send me signed copies of Tales from the Grid Square Volumes 1 and 2. Ladies and gentlemen, these books are available on Amazon, and I highly recommend if you have any interest in the military and paranormal, these are some great, great reads. Tales that are unusual from military are sent to Mr. Orton, both active, retired, and they all deal with something unusual, some of the unusual things they've witnessed throughout their time during serving their country. So again, huge thanks to Nick Orton of Tales from the Grid Square. If nothing else, please make sure you follow him on Instagram. He does a great job posting regularly, and you'll catch up on some of the stories on there. As for tonight's guest, I think it would be safe to say you could consider him a modern-day renaissance man. Thomas Johnson is the proprietor of the House of Farrakops Rock Shop in Adams County, Ohio. It's roughly three miles from the Great Serpent Mound there in Peebles, Ohio. His shop is a must-stop after visiting the Serpent Mound. That's what I did. Uh, for the first time, it was not a disappointment. Filled with amazing rocks, crystals, different type of sedimentary treasures, as you walk to the back of the shop, you'll be stopped in your tracks by what looks to be a world-class collection and display of fossilized trilobites. Um, his collection has been featured by National Geographic and the Smithsonian. This gentleman has a great deal of knowledge about the weird and unusual in and around the area, from crop circles to UFOs, and even gives tours of an ancient meteorite impact crater in his local area. So, if you will, please give a warm, uncomfortable welcome to Mr. Thomas Johnson. Thomas, welcome to Uncomfortable. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for taking the time, sir. I appreciate it. It's good to see you again. Uh, it's been, what, uh, first part of October, I think it was, when I stopped in. I think it was the weekend of the 8th when I was able to physically stop into your shop. Uh, really neat place. Um, you helped me with uh, getting some, some, something special for my lady friend. And 
we had we had some friends. I had some friends with me. Uh, JJ seven seven seven. She was uh, JJ Rose seven seven seven. She was there. Um, you guys had quite an interaction at that time. My friends uh, Matty O and his wife Storm were in there as well at the same time, and uh, it was just it was a very nice way to end the day after having been at the Serpent Mound, and it was uh, it was interesting. I wasn't eavesdropping, but it was interesting to hear your conversations with some of the others about the the oddities and the the strangeness that goes on in that area of Ohio. So that's why you're here, my friend. Well, thanks for having me. I uh, is with the shop. I, I try to make everybody comfortable. Um, we tend to look at it as a a safe space. And uh, we call it the alternate universe. And it, and, and, and it was. It was, a, it was a very low key, very calm. Um, there, there obviously no, no sales pressure. Um, it was just kind of peruse at your, your will. And um, quite honestly, I mean, I have to say not to blow smoke, but I mean, you're one of the, one of the friendliest gentlemen I, I think I've ever come in contact with. I mean, just a very... Very mellow, nice, calm demeanor about yourself, and uh, very, very receptive. Yeah, it comes from uh, it comes from studying fossils and and being out with the earth, and uh, I've learned a lot about patience and uh, just how to how to receive the the vibes of the earth, and uh, that reflects into the people that I meet, and I get to have some great conversations with people and find out who they are and where they're from and what's in their mind. Well, you definitely so. left an impression with me. So um, <laughs> do me a favor before we get into the, the weird, why don't you, uh, we'll do this at the beginning and then we'll do it again at the end of the episode. Um, why don't you tell everybody where you're located, how they can find you websites, Instagram, Facebook, all that noise. Um, if somebody's interested in reaching out to you. Sure. Uh, we're located in Adams County, three and a half miles from Serpent Mound at the intersection of State Route 73 and State Route 41. And it's right across the street from a Dollar General, which used to be a cow pasture a few years ago. <laughs> and they decided to start developing the area. And I think they're getting ready for the um, World Heritage designation of Serpent Mound. So industry has has tapped into that, and they're starting to look at areas around this countryside to develop. What is what is that? Is that going to be some kind of a large celebration, or is that going to be? It's it's what it is. Is World Heritage is a um, a group of people over in Europe that look at all the important sites on the Earth. Um, like the last designation was for a site out in Newark, Ohio. And uh, it was a Hopewell enclosure as a great circle and octagon. And it was a lunar site where the Hopewells uh, went ahead and, and lined up the moon in that 18 and a half year cycle. And um, so what happens is they, that puts them in the same classification as the Taj Mahal and Stonehenge and all these other important sites. And, and what it does, it advertises uh, the particular site internationally. So the attendance goes up. In uh, other words, Serpent Mound might be forty or 50,000 a year, and it might jump up to a million a year. Yeah. 
See, that's interesting. I mean, I knew that there was a, a correlation between that and Stonehenge. I did not re- realize that the Taj Mahal was also uh, a part of that. Well, it, it's, I was just using it as an example that, you know, these important sites that are, are um, scientifically important or culturally important, mm-hmm. they designate them as a World Heritage Site, and that just draws attention to them. Uh, it helps them out with tourism more than anything. Yeah. Well, that would be a that would be a huge shot in the arm for your area because from what I remember of it, um, it wasn't like I went drove, driving around uh, outside of the road that you were on and the road that I came off of from the Serpent Mound. But it seemed, uh, for the most part, very rural. So yeah. that that would probably be a huge shot in the arm for you guys financially uh, if yeah. that if that were to happen. Yeah, well, I, I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> there, there is also a downside to it, yes. I, I have enough to keep me busy, but... <laughs> but anyway, the the, uh, the location, I, I picked the location out. Um, I've been doing research in the area on uh, trilobites uh, since the 1970s, early 70s. And... Um, I was on a, a site working for the National Museum on a grant out of the Walcott Foundation to study the state fossil uh, in 1985. And uh, I was previously working at the Corps of Engineers doing research on their emergency spillway up in Waynesville, Ohio, about an hour and a half away. And um, I had to go into the literature and figure out where the first examples of this particular trial bite was found, and it was Adams County. So I traveled to Adams County, and I was standing in this little stream in the middle of nowhere, and the landowner just happened to be driving by and see me standing down there, and he busted me for trespassing. And uh, we became friends, and he ended up selling me uh, 22 acres of land on a land contract and uh, for $100 a month. And at that time, I was working for a dollar an hour on a grant, so... It, it worked out fine for me, and, and uh, so I was situated there for several years. And then um, I came up to, uh, went on a trip over to Egypt. It was a um, world peace mission, of all things. And we're over there in Egypt, and somebody said, hey, do you know where Serpent Mound is? And I said, well, yes, I live about 15 miles away. And they said, well, we'd like to get some pictures of it for our album. So I drove up past this house in the middle of the winter, and it was for sale. And the rest is history. <laughs> and that's the house that you're currently in right next yeah. to the shop. Exactly. So the, the piece of property the, uh, that you got on land contract, um, how, how fruitful was that? How, uh, it still is. It's, it's like... Is it um, really? Yeah, the, the largest trilobites in North America are found there. And uh, we've just been slowly teasing them out of the sediments over the years. And uh, about once a year, I find a big one, and it ends up going to a museum somewhere. Yeah. And uh, I was, I was, I got to say, I was shocked. Um, <laughs> you know, like, so my son's a geologist, so he, he may know more, way more than I do. Um, I'm sure he does. Uh, but you know, any of my experiences with seeing trilobites, you know, they were always in the neighborhood of a half inch or an inch, maybe a little bit more. Um, when I walked in, I, I struggled with, 
your display back there because I wasn't I was I was looking for something that would give me an indication whether a plaque or something that they was that these were you know representations of or um, copies of and they weren't they were literally huge trilobites and like borderline perfect it was it was it was stunning to sit there and look at those well thank you that's uh that's been my lifelong passion and uh that's how i got recognized by the national museum was for my skills and preparation and uh i met them at a international rock show in 1984 and they were planning for a gallery uh, that was going to open in 1990 called Life in the Ancient Seas. And after going to the National Museum and seeing their specimens in-house, as museums go or repositories, they, they don't have anything that's prepared. It's all unprepared, just as it comes out of the ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they were at this international show looking for specimens to buy. And I had chances to sell them trilobites, and I just said, you know, why don't you just come out to my place and I'll, I'll loan you some trilobites for your gallery. Then you won't have to buy them. And they, they liked that idea. So they, they came out and, and uh, looked at about 1500 specimens and uh, took a little break. And after that was over, I asked the curator, I said, so which ones are you interested in? All of them. We want all of them. (laughs) (laughs) So I about dropped, (laughs) I'd hit the floor on that one. (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they ended up taking it. It was a 25-year contract. Wow. And uh, it really opened up some doors for me as far as uh, doing research and working with other major museums. And here I am, a guy that has no formal education at all. Um, no, no, college. no college. No and, college. And now now I teach the teachers. And <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I, I love stories like that. <laughs> It's uh, you can't plan it. That's that's the way my life has been. I can't plan it. It just happens. So can people find you on Facebook or? Yeah, um, on Facebook, it's um, I'm not sure what our Facebook handle is. I should have wrote that down. I know on the Internet, it's uh, alternateuniverserockshop.com. And that in itself is interesting to me. Alternate universe. Um <laughs> A little less uh, confusing after having talked with you. Uh, <laughs> my my in-person uh, um, interaction with you, I, I think I can kind of see where that, that comes from. Uh, but you just came back from, uh, was it one of the Dakotas? Yeah, we just did some ceremony in uh, South Dakota on the Yankton Reservation. And and what was that, uh, what was that thing called, the, the event? Um, I believe that was just a star knowledge, uh, in remembrance, 1111. And it was, um, a conference and, and celebration for the life of, of one of our, uh, friends, chief golden light Eagle, who was a Sundance chief. And he passed, uh, just a little over two years ago from the COVID. And so it was, um, a gathering of, of people from the reservation and, and other parts around the earth. And we all got together and told stories and give lectures, and um, it was just a nice time. It lasted three days. Uh, most of our conferences do, and they're, they all revolve around the star knowledge. 
and, and or promise me that we're going to get into that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, it's a it's a it's a teaching that has been around for apparently a long time, but the um, the Lakota have decided to uh, bring it out and make it uh, public to where people can uh, learn about it. And they've actually written a few books about it. And um, their philosophy is like many of the Native American tribes is that we were seated here from other constellations. We were caretakers of the earth. You know, that that is, uh, when you say it out loud and you, you say it to... Uh, normal people <laughs> that is that is a that's an eye roll that's a tilt of the head that's a, a right. quizzical look on the face um but and i've said this a, a, a lot of times if you if you were to take every creature on this earth and put it in a lineup and put us at the end of it everything that you look at has got claws or fur or feathers or scales or gills and and everything looks remarkably organic and even though they're completely different species and completely different looking animals they all look like they belong together and when you get to us at the end of that line we are the one thing that does (laughs) not look like it belongs here right and and that is that is something that i have struggled with in in recent years it 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 will not leave me i i truly feel that if there is anything that is not natural to this planet um i think it's us right right there's a there's a lot of people out there that believe the sooner we're gone the better (laughs) (laughs) i think the earth would probably agree with that <laughs> at least for the most part. Yeah. Well, your area there around Peebles, um, you've you've got some remarkable things that that take place there. Um, you're, it's the it's the home of a very large ancient uh, meteor crater, correct? Yes. And you know, I heard you speak about some some strange uh, energies in that area. And the Serpent Mound, I, I have to say, um, you know, I was I was at that Serpent Mound probably an hour prior to getting to your shop. And <clears throat> really, uh, I, I know that I know that ninety nine point nine percent of the people that go there go there to walk the path around it and and view it in its entirety. And when i got there i was i was just struck with this overwhelming desire and immediately when i got to the i believe it's the tail end where you start correct Mm -hmm. yes um there was a bench there and all i wanted to do was sit down and just kind of look out over it and just kind of soak it in that that's that's all i really had any desire to do mm-hmm. i wasn't uh, i wasn't interested in walking around and taking pictures and and any of that all i wanted to do was just sit there and kind of soak it all in and uh i, 
I thought that was kind of strange. You know, I mean, I, I've I've learned in in recent years uh, through doing this show and talking with a number of people that are like-minded uh, when it comes to this strange stuff and just kind of paying attention to what I don't know if it's what your body's telling you to do or or what the energy there is telling you to do and I just was very I was very struck by it all I wanted to do was just sit there and I didn't want anybody around me I just wanted to sit there and and feel what was going on mm-hmm. and uh unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately it was it was uh mild, mildly interrupted by uh um a, a couple of people but um it, it's a beautiful place and it is there is some serenity there for sure but then when we got to your shop um i heard you i forget who you were saying it to but i you had figured out the code and and the code i believe was uh, maintenance emergency Oh yeah, <laughs> and I was I just kind of I was overhearing you talking with somebody else, and then I kind of focused in on that, and I was shocked to to find out what that that was. Yeah, it was uh, it was a sad day. Uh, one of the fellow, in fact, he was from your state. He was from Indiana. Was he really? And uh, he had a family, and he just decided to go up there and be in peace on the on the day that they were closed and uh, take his life and the park closed down on, on Tuesday they're normally open and their their first uh, response was well we have a maintenance emergency you can't come in and we've heard this before when they closed the park unexpectedly and and I'm just you know we're just wondering well how many times has this happened yeah so it's uh yeah, they, they're, of course, they're not going to come out and say, well, somebody just off themselves in, in the park. Right. But, you know, that's the thing about um, all these different sites, if you will. People go there, um, and that's where they feel at peace. And that's the way I justify what happened. I mean, the man wanted to be alone. He chose a place where he wanted to go on. And, you know, that's his prerogative. Yeah. Um, but the place is, uh, Serpent Mound is... is um, the way I look at it, it's a place of new beginnings. And the, um, the significance of the uh, serpent itself with the, the head of the serpent on summer solstice sunset, um, that's considered a day of rebirth by the sun worshipers, the people that built Serpent Mound. And uh, they constructed over 100 of these serpent mounds in North America uh, via the river systems. And they were uh, influenced by the Olmecs down in South America some 10,000 years ago. And that practice of sun worship and farming went all through the Americas, starting in South America and going into North America and probably around the world. But um, they followed the river systems up from the Gulf of Mexico, and um, they ended up at Serpent Mound. But they... You can go virtually anywhere in North America and find a serpent mound. And most of them will be oriented towards either sunrise on June 21st or sunset. Really? And I see evidence of this rebirth when I having this rock shop. Um, 
just as somebody walking down the street, um, you just don't, you don't hear this. You, you, you almost have to be like our rock shop. We're, we're stationary and we're, we're receiving a lot of people through tourism and, you know, we we get inquisitive. Well, why are you here? And a lot of people that come have no idea why they're here. Yeah. They just feel like they needed to come. And then you dig a little deeper and you find out, well, they just had a death in the family. They just went through a divorce. Uh, they just had a traumatic experience and they're there. And it's all about getting a new start. And it's, it's a, it's perfect. Well, it's like a mechanism, really? but it's, it's on a large scale and it's energetic. It's not something that you just pick up a book or listen to it on the radio and say, Oh, go here. If you want to get recharged, right. but it just happens. And it's, um, through the years, I've, I've seen a lot of evidence of that. It, it actually works. It's, it's there for a reason. That's very, so interesting. Now, I, I, this was in a conversation with somebody prior to getting there. Um, did I hear right that, um, that that area had been excavated at some point and, and, then, and, Mound, yes. and then rebuilt or? Yes. It, Serpent Mound, um, when it was discovered by Squire and Davis in 1847, was only ankle high and it was wooded. And then between 1847 and 1881, when Putnam came from Harvard, um, they had actually cleared the trees and planted it in corn. So it was a cornfield before they started their excavation. And the way we understand it, Putnam was um, an engineer and he was the first archeologist in the United States. So this is where archaeology began, was at Serpent Mound. Really? So, well, him being an engineer um, and figuring out how old Serpent Mound was, he looked at the skeletal remains and decided that these people were from South America. And he looked at how long, a, how pe how long have people been coming here from South America, how old the mounds are. I think at that time they even had an idea about uh, somewhat about a relative age, about it being about 2,000 years old. And with him being an engineer, I think he looked at the rates of erosion because that was an earthen mound, and they reconstructed it back to where it should be. So today I think it's a fairly accurate representation of the way it was 2,000 years ago. So during the excavation of it, um, you, you mentioned there were remains so do we do we know how many remains were there was um there was 20 individuals taken off of the site and they were all in mounds but none of them uh were in the serpent itself there's one mound just to the left of the um the rear of the snake's head it's 30 feet wide and there was three individuals in that mound and there's actually four mounds that surround the uh, oval of the serpent. And the Native American belief is that that's actually a turtle. Oh. And it's a serpent meeting a turtle. And the, the idea behind that is that the serpent came from South America, that whole belief of sun worship and marking the days for solstice and equinox. 
and the turtle is North America. Hence, it was an international trade hub with the river next to it, uh, the Brush Creek. From there, you can go with a boat to the Ohio, to the Mississippi, to the Gulf of Mexico. Or if you went up the Mississippi, you could go to the Missouri and all the way out to Yellowstone. No so you're, start, you're starting to see these trade goods here from South America, uh, from Yellowstone, uh, and they were exporting, importing back and forth along that river system like a superhighway. So you have a meeting of these two cultures, North and South America, trading. Interesting. So let's get into the the strangeness that <laughs> that's going on in that area. What what kind of things are have you become aware of? that are just too difficult to look past? Well, <laughs> there's, there's quite a bit, actually. Um, I mean, I everybody knows, or most people, most of my listeners know that Ohio is, is well known for um, the Ohio grass man, Bigfoot, uh, right. you know, and, and that's one of my, one of my all-time favorite topics. Um, but beyond that, there's, there's some considerable strangeness there. There, well, I think the, um, the energy of the ground surrounding the crater, um, we call magnetic anomalies. And this happens when, um, first of all, there's a fault line that runs through our property. Uh, it runs down Route 41. It, it goes all the way north to what they call the Greenfield Fault and all the way to the south to the New Madrid. And this fault line was in the ocean a couple billion years ago, when this was an ocean here, and this asteroid sailed in about 300,000 or 300 million years ago before the Appalachians were formed, and it, it dug a hole into the uh, substrata of the ocean about 6,000 feet deep. And when you get a disturbance like that in your rock column, it makes magnetic anomalies. But if you look at each layer of the Earth, is is uh, has its own signature, magnetic signature, according to where that plate is on the Earth. So the plates are always rotating. So you're always getting different magnetic signatures according to the elevation on the Earth in the rock layers. And your your son would know that in geology, of course. Right. Yeah. But uh, so we get these magnetic disturbances here. They call them magnetic anomalies, and this whole area is, is um, disturbed like that. So it, what we're seeing is it allows things to come through um, what, what some people call paranormal. Uh, it's like the, the veils are thin. And so things happen here. Um, I guess the strangest thing that happened when I first moved here that kind of um, tipped me off as to how strange is this area? Um, I went on a trip down to um, Louisville, Kentucky, and my uh, my ex-wife's grandma was living with us, and she was psychic. And uh, I came home after a long trip, and, and she grabbed my arm, and she goes, Tom, is that you? And I said, well, yeah, that's me, of course. And she goes, well, you were here two hours ago walking through the house, but you wouldn't talk to me. And I just went, oh, really? 
And uh, she, hey, your hair was disheveled and you were wearing brown clothes and your face was dirty. I said, no, I was two hours away. And uh, so that kind of started it. And it's happened numerous times since then, not only with me, but with my wife, people that did the paranormal research on the house. Uh, here recently, it happened to one of our cats. And people term it your doppelganger. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know if that's the correct analogy or not, but um, when it happens, you're really, it, it's kind of like, aha, I see it, you know. Um, the other night, <laughs> my cat, I've got like five cats in this room right now. So if you see them running around, <laughs> you know, they're having fun. But uh, I have one cat that comes to my door in the bedroom and I have a little handle on there and it rattles the handle to come in. She's real polite. <laughs> and so I let her in. Her name's Ruth. And she goes walking through the bedroom and into the bathroom to eat. And um, my wife, wife was in the bathroom. And I sat back down on the bed behind me here. And about five minutes later, rattle, rattle, rattle at the door. And I'm going, wait a minute. <laughs> I've only got one cat that does that. So I opened the door. And lo and behold, here she come through the door again. And it was the real one this time because the first one that came through didn't talk to me. And when Ruth enters the room, they always greet you and say hi, you know, meow. Yeah. And uh, she went into the bathroom and the other one disappeared. And I said to my wife, I said, well, now we have to start watching our cats. Because <laughs> all these years, I've never paid attention to the cats if there's more than one of them walking around at the same time. Right. That, that's, but, a, that's interesting. Um so, aside from the cat, what else? What other experience? What other um, instances of that have you have it, you actually uh, seen? Say your wife, for example, when she wasn't actually there. Yes. Um, well, it, the there's been several sightings of me uh, to be in two places at once. Um, one one more recently, I was outside working on a carving at the corner of the property. We like to carve things out of wood. And uh, it was a hot summer day. And my wife noticed that I was out on the corner of the property. She'd just come back from Serpent Mound. And so she parked her car, and she noticed there was cars in the driveway. So there was probably people in the shop, and, and that happens around here a lot. We might be off doing something on the property and somebody will go into the shop and I won't even know it. But anyway, so she runs in the shop and there I am behind the counter. <laughs> and she goes, uh, you're, you're out there at the corner of the property. And I go, no, I'm in here. And so, uh, but it's, it's happened with Terry, uh, with my son-in-law. He was, he was very skeptical. Uh, but over the years, he's kind of come to the realization that this is for real. And uh, we were in the shop one day getting ready for a sweat lodge. We do these uh, inipis, and uh, my wife's native. And so we, we do these uh, sweat lodges, and we were in the back of the shop, and she was sitting at a table, had her jeans on, and, and uh, talking to some people. And I sent Frank into the house to get something for a customer, and he walked down the sidewalk just past the sweat lodges right next to the shop. And uh, he's seen Terry out there dressing the sweat lodge and pointing to people to do things. And she was dressed up in a regalia. 
And uh, he come back in the shop, and, and he saw Terry sitting there, and his face just turned white. He said, uh, you're out there at the sweat lodge. And Terry said, no, I'm in here. And so, and, and that's happened a couple of times to him. And, and he just, um, he's, he's really taken back by it. Okay, I, I got to know. It, it seems that, it, like, maybe in the beginning, when, when you first started recognizing this, there would have had to have been some some confusion was there ever a point where you found yourself having to prove that you were actually you and not the you that they thought they saw outside or or, or do you get no. some looks like are you the real one or was the real one out there we found out that the the ones that are replicating don't don't interact they won't talk to you they just go on about their business like they're in another dimension. You know, that's extremely interesting because I just had a gentleman on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago. His name's Mike Ricksecker, and uh, he's, he's got a new book, uh, new book out, uh, uh, Travels Through Time, I think it is. And uh, during our conversation, um, he was, he was, I wish I could remember the guy's name, but it was, say, let's say, turn of the century. The gentleman was walking down the street, and he viewed a gentleman on the uh, on the opposite coming the opposite way, who had a very distinct coat that had uh, a gold trim around the the outside edges of the coat, mm-hmm. and he was he was struck by how this gentleman looked and and the way he carried himself and everything, and then years later, he was walking down that same street and realized that the coat that he had on that he had purchased for himself was that same coat that he had seen the other gentleman wearing because mm-hmm. it had the the shiny gold uh outline uh of on the on the coat wow and so essentially what he was getting at was that he had seen his own doppelganger um but in the conversation with Mike, it was, it was more of something affecting the veil, as you said, um, Mm -hmm. where he was able to actually see himself. Wow. A a future version of himself. And that sounds very, very similar to what you're talking about. Only yours seem to be, um, not necessarily a future version of you, but, you know, something that you'd be doing in ultimate alternate dimension. Yeah. I'm not seeing myself. Everyone else sees me. Okay. So Um, you don't see yourself. No, I haven't seen myself. I I've come pretty close to seeing myself. Um, one morning we were waking up to go, uh, do a dig because I like to dig rocks. So we were going to leave early and go up to a place called Flint Ridge, which is about two and a half hours away. It's up by Zanesville, Ohio. And uh, I told my son-in-law, who's in the room across the way upstairs, I said, you know, we're, we're leaving at 6 o'clock. And 6 o'clock, I opened up my bedroom door to go out, and I closed the door because I forgot something in the room. And I grabbed whatever it was I, I was supposed to get, and I heard my son-in-law talking out in the hallway. And I opened the door, and I said, who are you talking to? And he, he looked at me and he says, you just went downstairs. And I said, no, I've been in the room. I was going to go downstairs. So it's like my energy 
my my intention went downstairs and he saw that and that's the kind of thing that just makes you go ah you know this is <laughs> how do you explain it right so you said did, did i hear you right did you say you've had a paranormal team uh, investigate yes, the house we had a, a team of uh, four people um they live up the road and um uh, a mother daughter and uh a son-in-law and a and a and a father, and um, they came out and they were into dousing and paranormal research, and they had all these little gadgets, you know. Yeah. They were recording everything and had little handheld devices, and they said, "Yeah, come on out." And they they came out. It was in the summer, and uh, it, this has been probably eight years ago, and um, two of them went upstairs. They were in teams. And two went upstairs to my daughter's room, which is pretty much a haunted room for sure. There's always something going on in there. And uh, the mother and daughter were in there. And then the, the father and the son-in-law were down in, um, in another room downstairs. But they wired our house for sound. And they had to do it in the evening when our road traffic died down because we're right on a state route. Mm-hmm. And uh, after about an hour, my wife and I were sitting on the porch on the couch there. And... and uh, one lady came down, and um, Terry said to her, she said, uh, how's it going up there? And the lady didn't say anything. She just kind of walked down the stairs, out on the front lawn, kind of gazed around, came back up, didn't even pay us any attention, and went back upstairs. And about an hour later, she came down with her mother, and uh, my wife says, hey, um, how come you didn't talk to me when you came downstairs about an hour ago? And she goes, I've been up there for two hours. <laughs> and sorry. And, and so, you know, and they, they pulled the, I guess they pulled the sound on that. And sure enough, it was on the sound recording that she did come down the stairs and we did talk to her. And so it, it's, there's, there's evidence there to support what I'm saying, but right. it's just, it's something when it happens, you don't put two and two together because it's a reality. You know, it's not like you're seeing a ghost figure. Yeah. You're seeing something in three dimensions that makes noise that does things. Um, it's not completely invisible, you know, like where you hear about people walking through walls and things. I haven't experienced that yet. <laughs> Ghost cat. <laughs> That's my cat. <laughs> but but consistently there whoever it is that is being witnessed, mm-hmm. there's no interaction. No. And it, it's obviously got nothing to do with um just you guys there in the house. It it's got who because these people come in uh, with no relation to you whatsoever. Right. And, and it's, it's happening with, with them as well. Yeah. And it's, well, wait, here's the history of the house. It goes back to house was built in 1881. And, um, through the years, there's been three different families live here. The last family to live here, um, they, the guy is a mortician. He owns funeral homes in the area. And the house had been abandoned for 25 years before I bought it. It was on a burn list uh, with the fire department. And this contractor came by that restores old Victorians, and he took a gamble on it. He bought it. And um, 
He spent three years working on it, restoring it. And at the end of those three years, he decided that he was not going to live here. So he sold the house. He basically dumped it on the market and took a loss on it. And that's the day that somebody said, we need pictures of Serpent Mound from the World Peace Mission. And I just happened to drive by the house the day they dropped the price and I bought it. <laughs> but the day after I bought that house, he showed up in my driveway and he says, have you seen any spoofs yet? And I said, what's a spoof? Because <laughs> I've never heard that term before. Yeah, I haven't either. And, and these guys are very religious people. Um, this whole community is. It, it's a Bible belt. And so, you know, we're not well received here anyway. The local people think we're doing daily sacrifices <laughs> and whatnot, which is fine. They can stay away as far as I'm sure. concerned. But uh, that just that statement, have you seen any spoofs yet, got me to going like, you know, what's he really talking about? And uh, and then it and then that happened with that instance where I, I was down in Louisville and I was seen here in the house, but other things have happened, you know, throughout the course of the years where something falls off of a wall or the water turns on a faucet all by itself or you'll lay something down on a counter and turn around and it's gone and you go like all right, <laughs> who's who's playing games with me? So I found out that the energies here they're very mischievous. And they both basically have fun. They try to get your goat, and uh, but they're not harmful. You know, they're not like poltergeists or something. Yeah. But they can physically move things around, and, and they do mess with you. <laughs> it's kind of like a game. <laughs> if you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. So, you know, you made an interesting comment, you know, with that being the Bible belt and, and, and by and large, you're, you're, you're frowned upon, uh, by the local community. Um, mm -hmm. have you, have you found, have you found any kindred spirits? Have you found any like-minded people that you're, you're able to enjoy some kind of a relationship with and, and do they experience, uh, similar things in that area? Yeah, this whole area is haunted, if you want to call it that. Um, the store across the street, for example. The Dollar General. The Dollar General. Um, that was, that's, for whatever reason, there was a house across the street built about the same time our house was built. And it was like a, the maid's house, the guest, or the worker's house. It's a small little two-story frame. Um, and, and that house was haunted. We knew that by people that came out and tried to do paranormal <clears throat> research there. And after five minutes in the house, they had to walk away from it because it was so haunted and it wasn't, it wasn't a good haunting. It, it was, things were being thrown, um, words were being said apparently, really? um, but the, the people that left that house, um, they said, you know, that's the first time that's ever happened. But anyway, they tore that house down. And when they did, they built the Dollar General right where that house was. And the day they opened that Dollar General, the general manager of it, she was a customer in the rock shop. 
and she sent us a video and she said, I think it's on our Facebook group. Um, it has a two gallon jug of laundry detergent on the top shelf at 1130 in the morning, sliding off the shelf all by itself and going boosh all over the floor. Nobody around. And that was the first instance of saying, all right, it's not just our house. Yeah. It's got to be the ground. Now, when I was there back in October, weren't you saying that it is, uh, that, that Dollar General has uh, a problem with keeping employees because of. Yep. Yeah. And I, I don't, it's hard to say if it's because they don't pay them enough or they overwork them. <laughs> it's probably a combination. Yeah, but they, they, you know, there's a lot to be said about what goes on in that store and the little games that that are played. You know, the, the, um, the history of the area, apparently there was two little uh, children that died around the age of five, uh, one in the barn next door that accidentally hung himself. Oh, he was playing on a ladder and a rope and slipped and, and hung himself. And then across the street is, is where the little girl lived in that house. And whatever happened, both of them uh, died around the age of five. And I guess it created some problems with families. Um, but uh, those two kids have been seen on my front lawn, da- lawn dancing uh, in the mist and I had a, actually had a customer drive in my driveway one day, and she said, did you know there's two little children playing in your front yard? And I said, well, I don't have any little children, but I believe you. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. So it's people visually see things. Sometimes people, I know when I first moved in, uh, somebody drove by and, and stopped and took a picture of the front of the house. And in that picture was a little old lady standing there who didn't live here. Nobody lived here, but yet she was standing in the window. And uh, I've had other people comment, hey, there's somebody up there in that room looking at me. And I go, there's nobody up there. (laughs) That's interesting that you say that. I had a friend of mine years ago that I worked with. And, uh, I mean, this was years ago. And I was already into, you know, ghosts and and all the other the other stuff and uh it i i've never really shied away from talking about that stuff i could care less if you believe me or not if you don't want to hear it walk away you know it's i i don't care um and and he knew i was into it and he brought me a picture that they had taken of his grandmother's house on uh easter on easter day and the house was they were there was another house across the street that family members lived in as well. And they took a picture of the grandma's house on Easter day because the, uh, all the, everything, all the affairs had been taken care of and they were getting ready to, it was going to be sold. And they took a picture and standing in the front window of the house, you could see a older woman, with a like an Easter bonnet type hat and it was grayed out it was there was no color to it um and it was the eeriest photograph of literally this woman standing in her window and he said um do you know anywhere where I can get this blown up and at the time I had a friend of mine who worked at Gene's camera store 
and I sent him to Gene's camera store to have uh, Mark, uh, I think it was Mark Allstott, um, to enlarge the photo as large as they could. And he brought the, the large print in, and it was, uh, it was pretty amazing. And he's like, without a doubt, that is my grandmother standing there. Wow. Um, but no color. You know, it, it didn't look like a person. It, it looked like a grayed out, uh, colorless outline with highlights to it. And uh, it was unmistakably a woman standing in a dress with a, with a fancy hat on. Wow. And that was, that was, that was very interesting. That was a, that was a quite a cool photograph. Mm-hmm. We've had, um, I think we have one picture on our website of a, um, a person walking down the stairs and they're all black and we have like a winding staircase and, uh, it just gets them from the knees up, but it, it's a man he has a beard. Really? And he's all black. It's like a shadow figure. Yeah. So there, there are shadow figures here. There are, there's um, every once in a while something will talk to you. And there's nobody here. That's kind of unnerving, you know, when they call you out by name. Yeah. And uh, but they're it's like not loud, like, very audible. Yeah. I mean, yeah, very like they're standing right next to you. But they're not. There's no conversation. It's just like they'll say Tom. Or I think the, the longest conversation that that happened was my um, my uh, my wife's daughter. She was walking downstairs in the middle of the night, and about halfway down on the staircase, this gentleman went <clears throat> cleared his throat, and then he said, "Mayrose, ah, oh, you're Terry's daughter," and and that was the end of the conversation. But that was enough to unnerve you right yeah, yeah that's that's interesting because my my daughter and her uh her boyfriend they they rent a cottage um in in around kalamazoo michigan and um they've been there for about a year and uh, before she had started spending a lot of time there i knew her i knew her boyfriend from uh coaching him in high school football and he got a hold of me and said hey i think this cottage that i'm running is got some stuff going on so if you're interested let's let's get you and jake my son and uh let's let's do an investigation so you know i have i have some equipment but it's it's limited it's not like i'm uh carrying around two thousand dollars worth of uh, investigative uh, equipment and we went there and we waited till uh, we waited till probably around one o'clock in the morning before we started doing our investigation. And this storm that rolled in, I have never seen in my life a an electrical storm uh, with the amount of lightning that this storm had. And I can remember making the comment, "It's like, man, if if it's it's ripe for the picking here because with all this energy that's in the air if if we don't get something i will be extremely surprised mm. and uh i had actually taken all my podcasting equipment and we had um we had six mics going at the same time and i thought that i was going to be able to put together this uh this awesome 
live uh, podcast uh, while we were doing an investigation, and it was going to be really cool. Nobody's ever done it before. Well, what I didn't realize was that I was recording in multi-track, so every one of the six uh, <laughs> the six channels um, has about four and a half hours worth of audio on each channel, and yeah. so to be able to navigate that and go through and you know just being one person it's just proven to be a monumental task Mm -hmm. um but we did get we did get some pretty compelling evidence while we were there and now that she's spending a good deal of time there um that is the one thing that she remarks in hearing voices from other parts of the the cottage when nobody Mm -hmm. else is there there mm-hmm. will be times where it sounds like it's coming from the kitchen. Uh, there will be times where it sounds like it's coming from uh, up the stairway. And uh, there's nobody else there. But wow. clear as a bell, she's heard a, a woman's voice. And uh, it's, I mean, she's, she's not terrified of it. Um, but the word unnerving, I think, is probably a pretty good, uh, a pretty good explanation or a, a pretty good uh, descriptor for it. Um, she's, she's a little, she's a little nerved out by it. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it's, um, it's, I don't know if it's, it goes to the individual when you hear something like that. Like my son-in-law walked through the back door downstairs, he leads into the kitchen one day after he got off work and, and he started to open the door and he could hear a bunch of women talking and laughing in the kitchen. Like there was a card game going on or something. He opened the door and walked in, and there was nobody there. We had nobody else in the house heard this. He heard it. Yeah. And it seems like it's maybe it's just geared towards one person, or yeah. it's just uh, you were meant to hear this. You know, I know one night after uh, I had got divorced about twelve years ago, and I was up in this one bedroom by myself. And I, I was uh, getting ready to go to bed, and I laid my head down on the pillow, and and Lo and behold, this uh, whatever it was sat down beside me in the bed. <laughs> and the bed went down, and I just kind of like, okay, Ooh. here we go. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think I would like that one. <laughs> <laughs> but there's just little things like that that I think they just want to be recognized more than anything. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, it's a funny way of showing it, but, you know, it's, it's better than having something thrown at you or you get yeah, thrown absolutely. somewhere. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> They're um, polite. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah. So what other kind of things do we have going on over in that area? I know, uh, well, we, we touched on, um, on the crop circle and there was probably a, a pretty significant UFO sighting, uh, right above the serpent mound, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, the, uh, let me get to the crop circle. The, you're talking about lightning storms. Mm-hmm. Like the crop circle happened, uh, we were at a community drumming, and there was probably a couple hundred people there. This guy down the road, he's an ex-science teacher. He has a place called the Magic Gardens. And uh, real landscape, beautiful, out in the middle of nowhere type property. And uh, we were all there drumming, and everybody's taking pictures, people dancing around the fire. And uh, about midnight, this violent storm rolled through. And it was lightning like I had never seen before. It was one of those storms like you do not want to be on this hilltop when this storm hits. Yeah. And everybody left. It was like a bomb went off. Everybody just vacated that place. 
and people sent their pictures in and they got them back and lo and behold in these pictures there's hundreds of orbs really and it didn't matter what kind of camera you were using those orbs were in the pictures some had geometrical patterns they were coming out people's ears and eyes and noses and it was like unbelievable and he made an album of that just that one one instance and that is the time that the crop circle appeared next to Serpent Mound. Really? The next day, we got up. Somebody said, hey, you got to go down to Serpent Mound. There's something going on down there. And right in the soybean field, a half a mile from Serpent Mound, like right off the entrance to the right across the river, there in the corner of the field is this 270-foot-wide crop circle. And uh, it was in 28 inches of soybeans, and they were, they were not broken. They, when you get soybeans that high, if you try to walk through them, they'll break them. They're very brittle. And uh, these beans were laid down in a geometrical pattern, all going in one direction. And there was instances of people that uh, had said that they actually saw these blue orbs above that field as that thing was being formed. And the lady that owns the property, uh, her name is Molly, um, the house across the street uh, there's a spring, a public spring there where people gather water. And her mom passed away in that house the night of that crop circle. And she never had that field planted again. It's still in set aside to this day. Really? Yeah. And it's uh, it's interesting. It's just, uh, it's one of those phenomena that, you know, the, the local people made fun of it. You know, they accuse us of making it like we're Ted and Bob with the string and a board. Yeah. Uh, I said, I'm not that smart. I'm sorry. That, that was a nice geometrical pattern they made in that field. But um, the police, when we went out there to investigate it, there was a whole team of people that investigated it. And um, they they said, you know, man didn't make this. And the, the police were trying to stop people from going down in the field, and they were making fun of us, saying, oh, the aliens are coming, and uh, has they seen any spaceships lately? And you get that whole conversation, you know, and uh, you just see that they were not into the scientific end of it. And fortunately, there was a team of people there that were, and they, they took the right measurements and, and readings for radiation, and there's a lot written on it, actually. Uh, if you go to a site called um, International Crop Circle Researchers Association, ICCRA, online, you can see all the crop circles in, in this region that have been made over the years. Have there, also, have there been a number of them then? There's been quite a few. They're all towards, um, they're all within a mile of a, um, a, what we call a sacred site or a burial, a mound burial site. Um, there was one at the site mound. Uh, the same time that Serpent Mound happened, and they found that by renting an airplane at a local airport and actually flying off of their flight path and seeing this in a field. And so they reported that, and it, they found out it's made in the same medium. Um, come to find out the farmer, uh, that field is well protected. It has a stream that goes all the way around this 40-acre field and when they talked to the farmer, they said, he says, we get crop circles out there every year, but they don't tell anybody because they don't want people coming in and disturbing his crops. Yeah. So they keep it quiet. <laughs> that, you know, that's something that, you know, it, 
crop cir- crop circles always fascinated me when when they s- first started coming to prominence, and then you know the the two gentlemen who uh, were able to to do a very good facsimiles of him uh, with their their strings and their board. Um, that seemed to kind of quell everything, and it's like from that point on, crop circles were all a hoax. They were all, um, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't, I don't think that's true. I think, uh, I think those guys figured out a very good way to uh, approximate uh, mimicking how they were made so that they mm-hmm. looked good. Um, right. But there, uh, you know, there is still some scientific stuff. There was something to do with. Uh, like the the knuckles that uh of the um the the grass or the wheat or something that right the way that they were like uh yeah blown out blown out from the inside yeah they call it a necrosis and uh yeah it's they're they're very interesting i i still think there's something to them i think um unfortunately because somebody was able to show how to hoax doing them that mm-hmm. that killed the uh that killed the relevance of of all of them and i don't think they're all hoaxes no i i think there's a lot of evidence pointing in in the other direction that they're actually their messages and uh the one that was formed at the um mound city group in chillicothe that's a hopewell site on the Scioto river um that was made about um I think it's been about six years ago. Somebody actually flying over that area in a small plane and happened to see it. It's in a cornfield, and it was three days before harvest. And uh, they got dizzy in the plane. They couldn't figure out why, but they were taking these pictures, and it turns out to be a um, a crop circle that's 360 feet wide uh, in the corn, and the corn was bent on right angles. Uh, and it, you cannot bend a corn stalk on a right angle without breaking it. And uh, it, it had 47 circles in it. it. looked like a jellyfish. There's one main circle, seven circles around that. And then each circle had little ones coming off of it. I've seen that one. Yeah. And yeah it, I've seen it, the photograph of that. Yeah. That was at Chillicothe. In fact, it's on that site I was telling you about. And the guy that did the research on it, uh, Jeffrey Wilson, um, he was into physics and he taught at a university up in Michigan. And um, he went through all his notes and everything, and he found out that it was the exact duplicate of a fractal particle identified in, in uh, 1980. So you go like, okay, here's a fractal particle, one of the smallest particles in the universe, right? <laughs> and it's blown up to 360 feet across in a cornfield. And he said, when you walk through that cornfield, they got permission from the landowner before harvest. And they got a team together and they went through it. And the corn, he said, if you got in that crop circle, you would get lost because the corn was bent on right angles. It was a three-dimensional crop circle. And so the corn was at different heights in the crop circle. Oh, really? Yeah. And you're like, who does that, right? (laughs) That's interesting. I've never heard of... Uh, I mean, like I said, it, it, they kind of fell out of relevance, uh, you know, once people started being able to hoax them. So I never, I, I never looked into or heard of any that were um, the way they were developed were in a three-dimensional. Yeah. 
and they there was another one at um, Miamisburg. They were all within a mile of the of the sites uh, of these um, burial sites, like where there was a mound or where there was some kind of effigy in the ground. So you know, is it is it the people from the past speaking? Is it the energy in the ground? Um, it's anyone's guess. But million dollar question, right? Yeah. But I don't discount it. I, I really don't. I, I think uh, I think there's a lot to be lot to be learned about all of this, the paranormal and energies, and this is just one small area on the earth where somebody's actually sitting here paying attention to what's going on. <laughs> And, and trying to document it. I mean, that's that's my main goal is, uh, or one of them is to write a book about it. Oh, really? All the experiences of people's cars that, you know, the, the uh, energy of the area actually affects computers, cars, batteries, weather. Uh, when you when you get somebody for a brand new car or a tourist, they rent a car, they come out here, they park at Serpent Mound or they park in my driveway or somewhere in that crater and their battery goes dead. And it, it's the energy in the ground just sucks the energy out of batteries. And, uh, or, or even better, you'll get out of your car for a second and leave your car keys in the ignition or on your seat and your door locks lock automatically. <laughs> and that's just one of the little things that happens out here in this, the weird energy of this ground out here. Now, have you... Obviously, you've 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 paid attention to your surroundings, but have you ever looked into any other areas that are experiencing the same types of things elsewhere in the country? Are you aware of? I am. It's um, one of the um, fault lines are notorious for changing um, for charging for for making this phenomena or creating this phenomena. Um, one of the fault lines that runs up I-35 out of Dallas-Fort Worth, um, they say that it'll be pouring rain on one side and dry on the other of this four-lane highway. And we've experienced the same phenomena here with the fault. Uh, one with weather, uh, there's, a, there's a ghost rim of this crater. It, it's out um, about seven miles from the center of the crater. And there's a curve in the road, real sharp curve. You can drive it going 60 miles an hour. And I'm once, about halfway through that curve is the ghost rim. In other words, this crater was formed so long ago that it was much bigger at one time. Okay, And over, over time, a 1,000 feet of our top has been eroded away. So the outer rim of this crater is gone. But where it used to be, it left an energy field. A magnetic anomaly. Okay, and it just happens to cross right there where the curve in the road is, and it. What happens in the winter time? You'll get rain or frozen snow on one side of the curve, and then on the other side of the curve is dry. So imagine driving down that road and hit that curve sixty miles an hour, and it's dry, and you get halfway through the curve and it's ice. <laughs> so there's been seven people killed there since I've lived here. Oh, no kidding. And it's it's either weather-related, like there's rain on one side, dry on the other, or snow on one side, dry on the other. And and right across the street in that curve is a haunted house. It's called the Wickerham Tavern. And it's it's in all the ghost books. 
and they claim that this guy that he was a stagecoach driver, he got decapitated. They found his body, but they never found his head on the third story of the house. And there's been tales about this guy is standing out in the middle of Route 41 on this curve that's 60 miles an hour, standing there holding his head. <laughs> and it freaks people out, you know? Yeah. Do you, I haven't seen it, but I just hear about it. Do so. you ever notice any, um, as far as the weather goes, do you ever, have you ever noticed any, like, uh, drastic temperature differences? You know, that it's, you know, say 65 and sunny, and then all of a sudden it's uh, considerably colder and... Uh, what I've noticed about the weather is that the anomalies the, in, that are created in the ground uh, affect cloud banks. And the first example I saw of that was watching the weather channel during a storm. And as it approached the crater, it was, you know, they color code them red, yellow, green, whatever. Sure, yeah. And this, this cloud, it was a violent storm, and it's heading, it's coming from the west. It's heading right towards the crater. And when it gets right up to the edge of the crater rim, it goes brown. And it's brown all the way across the crater. There's no rain in it. And what happened was the storm was dissipated by the ground energy. So you've got a, an energy in the ground working with the energy in the clouds, the cumulonimbus cloud that's charged, and it neutralizes it. And the cloud either dissipates or it splits and it goes around. So we've talked to a lot of people over the years, and they say, yeah, we watch the storms, and they split when they come up to that point in the crater, and they either go around or they completely disappear. So if those clouds are charged and capable of producing lightning and, and all that, is is that crater doing the same thing it's doing to the people with the car batteries and everything? Is it is it draining that energy from the clouds? Yes, and that's, that's what we've witnessed so far. And it's not just me and a uh, uh, few people. We've actually had uh, two conferences now where storms have been recorded coming across and approaching the edge of that crater. And then people, you know, and uh, I'll lecture about this during these conferences about the crater and the energies. And lo and behold, it happens right in front of hundreds of people. You say, there's your evidence, you know, there's your proof. The storm was coming at us full blast and now it's gone. <laughs> Jeez. And I think the natives, I think the natives actually saw that. I, I'm sure, uh, they, of course, they didn't know it was an asteroid crater. We mm -hmm. didn't know it was an asteroid crater till 1998. But um, it was before that time, I, I believe that with the indigenous being as sensitive as they are to energies, they knew that this area was special. And I think that had a lot to do with why Serpent Mountain was built where it was. So you spent a lot of time digging in the dirt. <laughs> a lot. Have you come have you come into contact? Have you found any trace pieces of the actual meteorite? Or yes. or is it just uh, is it just the the fragments of the earth that were compacted? during yeah. that it, it's just fragments it's called breccia and it's um there's actually uh we've actually got a dvd out online and it's also on uh youtube here i'll show you i don't know if i can get this close enough to the 
screen. Uh, it's a little bit blurry. Yeah, it's um, it's called Serpent Mountain Impact Crater Tour. Hold hold it up again, but close to your chest there. No, back it up. I'll back it up. Yep, there you there. go. Serpent yeah. Mountain Impact Crater Tour. Yeah. Okay. And that's a 23-minute clip. It's actually a tour of the crater, and it explains all the anomalies and everything that can be found in it. But, um, yeah, there's there's a, a lot to be said about um, the material found in the crater besides actual uh, what they call breccia. The breccia has the ingredients of the asteroid in it, cobalt, chromium, nickel, iridium, iron, and zinc. Really? And uh, but you'd need like a mass spectrometer to read it because you got to figure this thing hit an ocean bottom and drove a hole 6,000 feet deep, five miles wide, and it had to be a pretty hefty object, but yet it hit so hard it vaporized. So, what you're looking at in that rock that breccia is just vapors of that rock. So, the only reason we know the crater is as deep as it is is because mining interest back in the 60s could see that signature in samples with their mass spectrometers and said, you know, there's a chromium deposit there somewhere. So they core drilled this whole area 6,000 feet down and they couldn't find it. So they just left it alone. I mean, today there's no way uh, exploration is going to go crazy like that mining right. <laughs> and spending that kind of money. What's what's the deepest uh, or what's the highest elevation still recognizable from the impact crater um mm, well there's a the center of the crater is called the central uplift and that's um i'm not sure the elevation but the rock that's exposed there is uh, a vertical rock so you gotta imagine dropping something in a bucket of water it sends a shock wave around and then it comes back up in the center it recoils okay that's what happens in a crater when something impacts water. It'll send a shock wave down, and then it'll come back up. And on the way back up, it released the energy of that plate of the earth and stood it vertical. So the very center of the crater, there's a mountain of vertical rock in the center. And that rock that's in the center is the same rock that's found in Cincinnati at the Ohio River, which is almost 1,000 feet below us. Wow. In reality. So it, it gives you proof that that rock was in the seabed a thousand feet below the surface of the ocean, of the bottom, and then it was shot up and it's exposed today. And in that rock, there's a pattern called shatter cones, and it's just a little signature on the rock. It looks like someone took and hit it with a hammer. It has a little fracture across it, but it's more pronounced, and you can only find it in an asteroid crater. So. My, my son, on one of his first uh, um, expeditions into to Canada when he was in college uh, for being a geologist, he ended up bringing me back a, uh, a little bit smaller than a tennis ball size rock that, that has that fracture going through it, and he explained oh. that to me. That was, that was really cool. I actually have it on a shelf right over here. <laughs> yeah, that's the Sudbury Crater. It's up in northern Canada. And it's one of the largest impact craters on the earth, actually. Is it? Yeah. They're they're mining they're mining iron up there. <laughs> it's probably iron from the asteroid. <laughs> it's hard to say. But they've been 
they've been up there mining for a long time, but yeah, Sudbury Crater is one of the oldest craters on the earth. It's up in the Canadian Shield. That's one thing about, I never got into asteroid craters until I moved to Adams County. Yeah. So it was just a, a, a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thomas, have we, have we covered pretty much the, uh, the gambit of the weird there or? Yeah, you have. Um, it's just, uh, it, it's an ongoing thing. And we're just, we hear stories like people go to Serpent Mound and, and they see things and then they disappear. People take pictures and they see things in their pictures that it's like, um, it, one thing I noticed about Serpent Mound is it magnifies the consciousness. And I, I believe that's, it might be why they, they, one of the reasons why they put it right where it is uh, about new beginnings. But I think if you go there and meditate and, uh, and give an intention, it's, it's heard and magnified. And uh, there's, there's been several instances of that magnification happening with groups of people. And somebody will be thinking about um, Serpent Mound, like uh, we had a skull conference there with uh, Humbat's men. He was a Mayan elder. He wrote the book on 2012 with the beginning of the Mayan calendar, mm-hmm. the end of it. And uh, he brought his skulls out there and he had them on the head of the, uh, the head of the turtle, if you will. And we were all there watching him give his, his talk and somebody said, look up. And we all looked up, here's this clear sky and there's a perfect skull above us in the clouds. These clouds just formed to form a skull that we were doing a ceremony with. So these skulls that he had, uh, I'm assuming they were like some sort of a crystalline structure or? Yeah, they were all stone, you know, from different places on the earth. Uh And uh, there's a whole philosophy about, you know, the 13 skulls and all that. But uh, these were just skulls from different parts of the world that he had in a collection that he brought together. And uh, it happened with uh, a community circle one time. We had a couple hundred people form a circle out there. And uh, it was what they call cross quarter in between uh, spring uh, equinox and, and summer solstice. And we were celebrating and we we're all holding hands and meditating and thinking about Serpent Mound. And again, someone said, look up. And we looked up and there is a perfect replica of Serpent Mound in the sky. <laughs> and it's like, OK, it, it magnifies whatever is going on with a group or an individual and it's just it's been noted you know more than once and more than one one person has seen this how interesting i mean i gotta ask does anybody within that uh that celebration within that circle um get any photographs of of these images in the sky I, i don't know if there was any pictures taken or not i just i just know what i you know what i saw yeah and uh, I, I'm going to have to go back and ask some people. Uh, of course, Humbas men, he passed away. But uh, there's just been just phenomena out there that you can't explain. And the only way you can say it is it's, it's got to be a product of your own mind, you know, that creates these things. Yeah. And it's just the right atmosphere, the right magnetics, if you will, like a tear in the fabric of time that allows this to happen. 
and then you get a group of people to witness it and you go, that's even better. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's always good to have extra, extra people witnessing it. That, I mean, even if, even if you're not getting it, uh, recorded some way or, or captured on film, um, having other people there that are seeing what's going on. Right. That, that is, a that's, a that bolsters one's confidence into realizing that it wasn't just something that they were seeing in their own head. So, right. Yeah. Well, great conversation, Thomas. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, do me a favor before we cut this off, let everybody know how they can reach you, uh, what you got going on coming up in the future. Um, it sounds like you're doing, uh, some speaking engagements, uh, at conferences and, uh, I'd almost uh, encourage you to maybe think about. Uh, yeah, that's the. This is the one that's coming up next. Back this it up. Be, a, back it up a little bit more, if you would. First, yeah. Uh, there you go. There, there you go. There it goes. Now get the light off of it. Maybe that's better. I don't know if you can see that or not. Uh, I can see the shape, but I can't read what the. Uh, Lights drive me crazy. <laughs> yeah. There. There. You can see it. It's the um, solar eclipse 2024. Solar eclipse, 6th of April through the 8th. And that'll be at a property uh, just not too far from Serpent Mound. And the last one is a three day ceremony uh, with different uh, tribes that come in. And uh, it's just the last one we had was at Serpent Mound in 2017. And we had 1,100 people show up. Wow. Serpent Mount said, you will not be doing any more <laughs> ceremonies at Serpent Mount. Oh. <laughs> they can only park 200 cars in their parking lot. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a it was a zoo. But uh, they didn't like the fact that they were afraid of what the public might see or learn. And it was an international drum circle with uh, a couple of uh, Lakota chiefs. And uh, it was just an a exceptional time. And now those drum circles <clears throat> those are very interesting in your opinion is is it just is it the the centralized uh intent with all those people or is there something about the the frequency or the the vibration of the actual drumming that aids in the the uh, the experience of it. You know, I I never um, I've only participated in a couple of drum circles, and it was just you know it gave everybody a good feeling. And uh, but the the drum circles that are traditional are more like uh, a group of natives that know songs and they have a big drum. And, you know, there's different songs for funerals or welcoming songs or thank you songs. And, you know, there's a, a specific rhythm that they have, like the rhythm of the heart. And uh, it, it's it's more or less speaking to the universe, uh, putting a message out of, of thank you. Mm-hmm. And But the drum circles themselves, I, I, I've yet to figure out what they're, what their idea is on that. I think yeah. people just get together and like to drum and have a good time and a good vibration. But uh, the significance of it has never really struck me. I always, I was gravitated more towards the Native Americans and how they do a drum. Yeah. 
Thomas, if you will, one more time before we get out of here, let everybody know where they can find you and and find your stuff. Yeah, alternateuniverserockshop.com. And on Facebook, yeah, let me get the, what is our Facebook handle there, Terry? Serpent Mound Star Knowledge Peace Summit. Okay, Serpent Mound Star Knowledge Peace Summit or Summits. And there, you'll find a group page on there. Okay. And uh, that's all of our current and past events. And they're, if they're looking to come visit you at the, uh, at the storefront, you're located where? I'm located in Adams County, Ohio, on State Route 41, 29894 State Route 41, and um, Peebles, Ohio, 45660. And the name name of the shop is fake ops, and fake ops means many eyes in Latin. It's a type of trilobite. Oh, There's is it really? I wondered. That. I wondered what it was. Yeah, fake ops is a trilobite. That eye system was used by um, by the government to create Star Wars Strategic Defense Initiative. Yeah, SDI. And they back-engineered the lenses of this 350-million-year-old extinct eye system. And they're actually, MIT did this, and they're actually using it in space to watch the Earth. No shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole other story. Holy cow, that's cool. Well, we're going to have to talk about that at some other point. Okay. <laughs> that is... That's a you just dropped a bomb, Thomas. <laughs> you just dropped a bomb at the end of the show. Yeah, why not? Uh, the only thing we ask is, uh, I know on these podcasts that uh, people will want to come out and do paranormal research, and we don't allow it. We love the spirits just the way they are. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm I'm sure my listeners will be happy to respect that. Um, okay, I don't think you're going to have any issues with that. All right. Well, you didn't have an uncomfortable podcast. I don't know why you call it that. <laughs> well, uh, the truth be known, uh, when I came up with the idea for the name, um, I, I thought that some people would be uncomfortable talking about their experiences. I thought that some people would be uncomfortable with uh, me asking them questions about their the experiences. And uh, it never really dawned on me until... Uh, an episode early on that I would wind up being uncomfortable uh, because <laughs> of who I was talking to. And uh, it, it, it does seem to, uh, a lot of people kind of think, well, you know, I'm not sure I want to go on a show called Uncomfortably because you're going to ambush me and make me feel, you know, stupid. And by, by the end of it, everybody says it was not an uncomfortable experience. Right. So. You're right. Yeah. That was good. I, I, uh, I, Appreciate you putting me on and let me uh, talk about my experiences. It's been uh, it's been a true pleasure, sir. I look forward to seeing you again in person uh, next time I get out that way. And uh, we it, even if I'm within an hour, I'm going to make sure that we uh, we come by and and say hi. All right, great. Thank you, sir. All right, thank you. Good night. Good night. <laughs>